Welcome to Men Talk, the podcast that takes a deep dive into the world of miscarriage, infertility, infant loss, and stillbirth. Hosted by Daniel Landau, founder of menshelpline.org, we'll be sitting down every week with real guys to discuss their stories, struggles, and triumphs. So grab a drink, sit tight, and let's talk. We are live on the Men Talk podcast, talking about miscarriage, infant loss, stillbirth, and infertility. Today's guest is Leslie Knock. It's not spelt the traditional way, like knocking on a door. His name is actually spelt N-O-C-K. Leslie is based out of the UK. And Leslie, feel free to introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from in the UK and a little bit about your background. And we'll go from there. Hi, you guys. Um, my name's Liz Nock, as um, Daniel's just said. Uh, from the, the miserable weather in the UK. Yeah. Um, I'm actually in Birmingham. Um, and yeah, I'm, I have to think now, 32. Uh, and me and my wife have been uh, trying... I say trying, we, we are pregnant at the moment. I, I feel like I should have to come out and say that straight away. Uh, we have been trying since uh, the start of 2018. Um, so it's been a long journey. Uh, we've suffered two miscarriages, one um, just a, an a early miscarriage that had to be um, medically managed. And then the subsequent month after that was an ectopic pregnancy. And yeah, um, I, I figured, yeah, I just wanted to join in uh, here and have a, a conversation about essentially men talking. I feel like it's such an important thing that should be talked about because I feel like there's a stigma around it anyway. You know, people think miscarriages, um, uh, it's, it's quite morbid and it's really upsetting. And of course it is upsetting for those people that have gone through it. But I think the, the, the stigma around it, if you don't talk about it, there's never going to be any healing. It's, it's, there's always going to be uh, a sting to it and of course it's always going to be sting but I feel like talking definitely can help deal uh in the long run um with just helping to grieve that process through yeah you know first off I'm sorry to hear about you know your two losses the first miscarriage and the topic pregnancy I mean that must have been really difficult and when you're talking about stigma it's definitely out there you know men need to talk about it it happens to one in four one in four pregnancies end in a miscarriage I mean, that's a lot of, that's, that's a lot of numbers. Person to your left, person to your right. I could have experienced it. Men sometimes feel embarrassed or ashamed about it, but really the stigma it needs to end. You know, there's nothing to be ashamed about. Definitely the more you talk about it, the more it helps. Um, so what type of suggestions would you have for our listeners advice about how we can end the stigma? Um, I think, I'm, don't get me wrong don't ambush people um in in their uh you know in their comforts uh you know if you're you're meeting people out and about don't don't just jump in with a conversation i think that's probably the, the worst thing but um sometimes just asking uh you know if you're okay um that that really helped with me I, I'm, I'm the kind of brush it off kind of person where you it's quite a british thing actually um where, you know, if, if someone asks how you're doing in passing, of course, the generic response is, yeah, I'm fine. Well, I was always a 110% kind of person where instead of saying, yeah, I'm fine, I, I'd be like, I'm awesome. I'm on top of it. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I, I always think it's really important to ask that question again, because I don't think you get the real result, the real answer um, the first time that question's asked. Um, so, yeah, you know, how are you, you know? Um, just kind of opening up the conversation 
Uh, if if people want to talk, you've, they've got to be engaged in wanting to talk about it. I don't think you can coax someone into it. Um, but if you give someone that avenue, um, more more often than not, they'll be willing to take it. What you say is so powerful. I mean, a lot of people don't necessarily want to be approached off the street. You know, hey, just fresh off the boat. I just had this miscarriage. I had this loss. Don't want, really want to talk about it. The, they keep it in their cells. But you're right. The first action is, the first reaction is, yes, I am okay. But really inside, you ask them again and again, and they realize they're not okay. They want to talk about it. They want to have resources for them. They want to, you know, they want to, they want to get rid of this grief. I'm yeah. curious for you, you know, on this journey, I'm really excited that, that you guys are expecting now that that must be a little bit of a sign of relief and positivity out there. But what oh, was so the- much, so much appreciation for it now. I think knowing what we've been through to get to this point. Yeah. What was it like for you on, on, on that journey after the first miscarriage and then going fast forwarding, you know, the topic pregnancy, what, what was going through your mind? What, what were your thoughts? Did anyone ask you how you're doing? You know, I don't know if you went to the clinic or to the hospital for, for both of those, but did anyone check in on you? Did friends ask you questions? What, what was the reaction? How did you handle all that? Um. So we, we weren't actively telling people uh, at this point. Um, so no one knew we were pregnant. We kept it to ourselves. You know, we did that generic wait until we sat, hit a certain milestone before we announced 21 because, you know, bad luck and all that. Um, and I, I think at that time it was, it was so difficult because I think where, where I was as a person um, probably wasn't in the best mental state anyway because I was I was very atypical. Uh, I don't want to talk about my feelings. There's the, all this stuff that's going on up here. It's fine. I can self manage. I can self soothe. Um, and I'm going to get through it. It's fine. Um, and I, I I kind of saw it happening to my own marriage where I was growing distant with my own wife because the communication wasn't there. Um, we we wasn't talking as much. Um, and when the, the the first miscarriage happened, I kind of dived deeper into myself. Um, you know, my first, uh, point of interest was trying to focus on how can I make things right for Lisa, Lisa's my wife. Um, how can I, how can I make things better for her? Because she's going through such, uh, not only a mental, but a physical, um, struggle. Uh, how can I, literally move heaven and earth so that she's okay and i thought the right approach for that was to show her that it's okay brush it off it's fine you know we'll we'll get through it we can get pregnant silver lining the worst thing ever to say um and yeah i think we had quite a few frank conversations about it where she was really open and willing to just talk about the miscarriage and want to explain her feelings but every time i kind of went there it it just felt so ugly and and horrible for me um and being hit with the the subsequent ectopic um after that it 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 all kind of came tumbling down uh the barriers weren't there anymore because they've been obliterated bulldozed um and the communication started happening you know uh, i think i i lay on the sofa with my wife and she kind of stabilized a little bit mentally and I broke down and, and started crying in her arms. And, and I think she, 
she kind of got it right she she was there with me at that point um and she she thought oh god you're still feeling it too because i'm feeling it as well um and i think at that point in time we we probably connected more than we ever had uh in our 15 year relationship um we've been married for five years now and we're the strongest we've ever been now um and i i suppose that's what i want to take away from probably my experience with the going to the miscarriages was that the communication was so important there's no there's no wrong way of doing it you know everyone's got to grieve in their own way and but tapping into those support networks like friends um your wife your partner your relationship talking about it really does help uh not so much for them to give an answer to fix anything just so what you've got in your head is vocalized and it's not just in your head um and it relieves so much pressure from for me um and yeah i am I, um, I feel like me and my wife are a lot much stronger for just being able to communicate and have those frank conversations about how much it actually hurts um i mean ha- having this conversation now is is possible um it, back then it wouldn't have been you know um two years ago uh no year, year and a bit ago year and a half ago uh that those conversations just wouldn't wouldn't happen um because it's just so raw and it still still feels raw now like when you talk about these things you get you have to fight back just so you can kind of vocalize the words still um and swallow the lumps um but yeah uh i'd say communication is the, the go-to don't don't lock yourself away don't think you can self-soothe self-manage um because you, you, you need to look after yourself uh if you're going to carry on with this journey um you know post miscarriage or you know you want to get to the point where you're having that family that you you deserve you you need to look at yourself and be in a place where mentally it's it's okay to carry on because it's a vicious game of snakes and ladders where sometimes you hit a ladder and you go up two rows but there might be a snake around the corner that's going to send you back to square one i feel your pain i really do you know it's really difficult to keep that optimism, especially after experience of miscarriage, to really say, hey, I'm feeling these things. I want to cry about it. You know, I want to get pregnant again. I hear a lot of times from men that they don't know how to cope with it. They don't know. They're afraid of of getting pregnant again because they're, they, they don't want to lose it again. They don't want to go down that dark path, that dark hole. Yeah. Know that the, the whole first trimester is a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. It's insane, you know, how much of a trauma a miscarriage can really have on a have on a man. And the stigma there, you know, men are strong. I think it is important for men to cry. It is important for men to share their stories. It's important for them to connect to friends and to to have outlets. So I'm curious. I'm curious to hear from you. What was it that that got you over that that hump? You know, you said that your relationship suffered a little bit. You know, you've known as a father for 15 years now, and this happened now, you know, you're talking again, you're closer together. What transpired on that journey to all of a sudden get you talking? What happened? So I I, I tried therapy before, and 
Um, you know, it was more about uh, finding ways to communicate what was in my head to get it out. Um, and I, I used journaling quite a lot. So if I was having a good day or a bad day, uh, I, I mean, I think it's quite important to, to journal both sides um, because what I like to do, especially before some um, my, my therapy sessions that I was having, um, I'd read through the past entries and it was kind of a metric of understanding where I was and where I am uh, and kind of seeing that ratio of, okay, this week there was three sad faces on my journal, whereas this week there was actually two um, happy faces. And it was it was a way of seeing the glasses half full as opposed to half empty, Where whereas I feel like a lot of people that journal when, you know, they're just in the funk and, and they're struggling. Um, uh, and I suppose I, I, I would say the fact that we had the ectopic, the subsequent month straight after i think that you know i described it as that the barriers were completely down because they were they were just obliterated um when as soon as we got the uh the, the positive the second positive test um you know our, our approach to it wasn't um oh th- th- this is fantastic it was nowhere near as the same excitement as the the first positive it, it was more about well what's going to go wrong with this one um and it, it's horrible uh and when we when we were faced with that ectopic pregnancy and we were um you know in the hospital separately because covid of course so uh, i was in a, a waiting room separate lisa was in a separate waiting room um and then uh, we'd only get brought together at the, the point of having the scan to find out the bad news essentially for both these miscarriages Oh my. Um, and then Lise would have to go separately again. And now I'm just sitting in my own little waiting room thinking she's, she's alone there. Um, she's ha- literally having to process this mentally on her own. Uh, it, in a, in a waiting room, which is an early, early pregnancy unit with loads of other pregnant people around her, you know, people with massive pregnancy bellies and, and she's sitting there just being told that we've miscarried. Um, so my, my, my heart really went out to her there. Um, but as I say, I think having the ectopic really was a catalyst for knowing that I couldn't hold this down anymore. I couldn't, I couldn't function at work. Um, I, I couldn't function day to day. It was, it was going to destroy my marriage or make my marriage. Um, so I chose to talk about it. I'm really glad you did. In regards to the, the therapy you talked about therapy mm-hmm. what was your process there a lot of men tell me i don't want to go to therapy you know therapy is always overrated i don't want to sit there and say how do i feel about that or go to a support group because oftentimes support groups are just filled with you know women and men men aren't showing up to this so the therapy that you went through was it one-on-one was it you and your you and your wife was it you know just just it, it, you group what was it like it it was uh one on one, so it was um uh CBT, so just talking therapy. Um and I don't know, it was I always explain therapy as it, it's difficult because I was one of those people that thought I don't want to talk about my feelings, I, I can I can deal with this, I can self manage. Um I don't need someone else to explain um you know what my feelings are. 
Um, but as I started having these sessions, um, it wasn't, so I had massive anxiety before my first session. Um, I'm probably not selling it to the listeners there, but massive anxiety because I felt like I had so much going on in my head that I felt like I had to plot out uh, a timeline, a story, something cohesive that I could just talk to someone and they would get my journey and where I am now. Um, and just, just analyzing my life in that way to kind of see like, okay, well, this happened, that happened. Um, and this is where I am now. Trying to step back and see that timeline uh, probably helped me more than my first session because it, it helped me put myself in those shoes of, okay, that's not good. That doesn't feel right. That doesn't sound good. Um, oh, but that was okay. And I think just taking that step back and assessing that that wasn't okay and being okay with saying this isn't okay, uh, that really helped me uh, with the therapy. Uh, I had a fantastic therapist uh, named Daniel also. Um, <laughs> it actually feels quite similar to you being Daniel, of course, uh, similar to my, to my own therapy sessions. Um, but uh, yeah, he was the one that put me on the path of journaling because he kind of struggled to, because there was so much going on in my head. Uh, he kind of struggled to kind of coax some of the things out of me um, because I wasn't so willing to talk about them at first. Uh, and, writing them down um even though i felt like no one was ever going to see this journal not even my wife's read this journal um and you know it was complete privacy but once i'd written it down and it was out there i felt like it wasn't as scary as it probably was in my head to be able to say it to someone else um so that that's that's what really helped me being able to write on paper first kind of gave me a script to approach these uh therapy sessions and say this happened this week and it it was pretty pretty crap uh i i didn't enjoy it at all um and that was kind of just a starting point for the for the therapy sessions um, well I'm... I, I, a lot of people out there i think with with the therapy that it's hard to get it if you haven't benefited from it um and i think you don't need to be engaged in it 100% I'm not saying that you need to completely believe that your life's going to change from your first one, but I think having a small percentage of this could help. Um, and if you're at a point where you need that help, what's, what you're going to lose? You, you, you should, um, I'm a big advocate for it. Um, and it, is, it doesn't work for everyone, but at least it's something you've tried. Uh, and maybe then you're just on the path. You're on that, um, that, that path of being able to figure out what works for you. So for all the men who are listening, Leslie is saying something very powerful here. There is no stigma behind therapy. It helps. So if you're struggling with this, therapy is a good option. When I want just to talk it out to journal. I mean, these, these, these are powerful words because too often we can keep it inside of us. I'm curious. I want to go back to that. Two, two, two thoughts I had. Number one, when you mentioned during COVID-19, I mean, did, was that experience in that hospital more traumatic for you because you couldn't be there for her? And number two, do you get triggered by the fact that in a woman in the emergency room and, you know, obviously you have all these pregnant women there who are going to deliver and then right next to it, 
you have people suffering miscarriage and ectopic brains, all the gynecological, you know, emergencies. Is that a trigger for you? Yes, it is. Um, so over in the UK, we have the, the National Health Service and we're very thankful for it. Um, you know, it, it is a, a massive benefit. Um, but I think there needs to be some sensitivity, awareness around kind of grouping all those pregnant women in the same bucket. I don't think they should be, oh, sorry, uh, pregnant couples. They shouldn't be all grouped in the same bucket at all because, you know, whatever um, a couple has gone through to get pregnant, it might not be conventional. It might, um, you, you know, be uh, IVF routes or um, donor, various, various routes. Um, they shouldn't be branding that one size fits all um, treatment. Um, and we found that uh, a lot better when we actually started on our IVF journey. Um, I'm bringing up the IVF journey purely because, uh, you know, that was also in the midst of um, COVID-19. Um, and the amount of times we had gone for the appointments uh, and it was still very much female focused. Um, you know, the, the man was kind of an afterthought in having to be there. Um, I mean, it, in my own relationship at, at times with, through, throughout the IVF process, uh, I felt like a, a donor completely. Um, wow. That the, the, the staff wouldn't talk to me because it was the wife that was having the, um, the treatment. Um, and they had to get, you know, kind of like approval that from Lisa that it was okay to talk. Um, we're Are you serious? I, yeah, yeah. So we we come to the, the, these appointments, and I'd sit in the car for an hour, hour and a half. Um, sometimes Lisa would go in, you know, um, have a uh, procedures, have the uh, the egg retrieval, um, have the transfer, and this entire time I'm not allowed in there, um, far from an initial uh, blood test and. Uh, you know, the BMI checks for, you know, uh, eligibility and such. Um, but bar from that, yeah, it was pretty much, you go sit in the car park where we we do these, uh, these woman things. Um, and yeah, the, the man involved was a complete afterthought. That is crazy and ridiculous. I mean, I get it. You know, COVID-19, it was a serious time. People are afraid of getting COVID. People are dying left and right from it, but still, your, your significant other is going through a procedure. You're going through this IVF journey. I mean, to just say, I'm not even going to talk to you. I mean, come on. How are I how... think, I think the, the fact that, um, yeah, it was more, I, I mean, I understand the protocols that they had in place because if someone had COVID and they went and sat next to my wife while she was in there on her own uh, and I was sitting in the car, I'd be furious. Of course I would. Um, so I understand, you know, that they've got these protocols in place to stop me coming in so it minimizes the risk etc um but I, th I think just just having that sensitivity of of talking to to myself or actually addressing me um that that was never a thing you know i was there to sometimes collect medication uh you know we, we had to drive um uh 40 50 minutes um it's not actually that far but you know it's out of my way uh to go get the medication and I was very much, uh, I, I'm doing this for, and there was no acknowledgement really. It was just, that, yeah, it's paid. There you go. Where there was never a conversation with me throughout the IVF process until we had our um, seven week scan. And I was allowed to be in for the scan because things had kind of died down a lot with uh, COVID. Um, and, and that was a, a, such a positive experience. I kind of wish that 
we had experienced it as a couple together, you know, throughout the whole thing. Um, not only, you know, to kind of enjoy uh, the, the pre-pregnancy builder, you know, like uh, a lot of couples just get to take for granted, you know, they just get pregnant or they just try and it happens. Um, you know, that's part of the process that's enjoyable as well. Um, and I kind of didn't get bought into that uh, that elite club, <laughs> so to speak, in, in, in the IVF world. Um, yeah, uh, that aside, yeah, successful. So I'm very appreciative of the clinic before we start burning it down. Um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> what, um, what was your role in the IVF process? You weren't allowed in the rooms. You weren't allowed in the procedures. You weren't allowed to go for the checks. You were sitting in the car park. Did you take an active role at home, helping your wife with with the shots? Uh, with- I, yeah, yeah, the injections, I, I was 100%. So my wife's a nurse, um, a pediatric nurse. And I think, yeah, she, she definitely would have been able to do it all herself. But I think her way of probably making me involved and bringing me on that journey with her because she probably saw that I needed it. Um, you know, she put up with me giving terrible injections uh, for an extended period of time. Um, and yeah, that, that was, that was how I helped out at home. But in terms of at the clinic, I, I had to go in for the, uh, the sample uh, and it's a daunting experience. I mean, everyone knows what that room is dedicated for. Um, yes. I, and they sit there and explain, you know, <laughs> like, like you're a complete novice. Um, and it's just, I don't know. I, it's surreal. Like everyone in their lab coats outside walking around uh, and everywhere else in the clinic. I don't know if this is the same for anyone else, but everyone else, everywhere else in the clinic was kind of like nice posters, bit of, um, you know, plants, bit of this, bit of that, you know, it's, it's, it's been some thought put into it. Whereas uh, that room where uh, I had to produce a sample was a cubicle with, uh, a, a computer um and that was pretty much it and it you know it obviously i don't want to get into too much detail but <laughs> yes it was, it was a very surreal um experience and and kind of an embarrassing one it kind of felt like you go lock yourself in the corner do your shameful thing and then we'll carry on with the science um i definitely uh, hear that yeah and and that's kind of i'm really grateful of ivf science uh, uh is amazing um, we had uh, ICSI, which is the, the, the process where the sperm is actually injected into the um, the follicle, um, into the egg. And uh, it is absolutely insane to see them, uh, not uh, the actual process that we had, but the, like, you know, on YouTube, you can see the videos of injecting. Just, just that process is amazing. Um, however, I think, yeah, there the needs to be some e- emotional um sensitivity about both people's role in, in that process because um, I was definitely overlooked um, in our IVF journey. 1000%. I also was. In our IVF journey, the, the way you described that room was pretty pretty accurate, although at least I had a, I had a, a couch that pulled out, but on the way to that room, there was a sign literally on the floor, there were little fishies and I had to follow the fish to that room. There was a path to the back of the room and there was a, there was a couch and, you know, you produce the sample. And then on the door on the right-hand side, when you, when you give it the sample, it says, it's a great day to make a baby. 
And it's almost like, yes, it's exciting what, what science does, but at mm. the same time, you know, what is it like emotionally? Yes, it's a great day to make a baby, but don't you wish sometimes that you're just like a regular couple and you could just say, hey, we're going to have a baby now, you know, and, and, yeah. and have it naturally. I think there also needs to be sensitivity, you know, in, in the clinics themselves, because to mm. see that, to follow, you know, follow fish, couch, like, I mean, it's not natural. It's almost no, like no. forced. And there, and there are horror stories of, of guys having trouble even in that room because, you know, it's not natural. It's forced. And especially if you have a guy who's dealing with, with infertility himself and a low sperm count, I mean, I can imagine how traumatic it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally being put in, in those small rooms to, to go at it, essentially, um, and, <laughs> and produce a sample. It is, the, the anxiety is, is uh, terrifying. Um, Can you believe that one of the rooms that I was in didn't have a lock on the door and someone actually walked into the room and I was oh, so no. embarrassed. I was like, no, you gotta be kidding me right now. This oh, cannot be happening. That is terrible. Uh, I, I, I really feel for you there. That is, um, that, that's absolutely terrible. It seems like there wasn't a lot of thought going to it. I recall, um, in, in my room, there was the little chamber to, um, put the sample in so that you never actually need to go face to face after um with anyone <laughs> uh so that was quite reassuring because I, I was definitely very red-faced um uh, and embarrassed uh but there was a little chamber and essentially you lift the latch and you open the door and you put it in um and the other side uh opens up into the i assume the oncology um the, the embryologist uh sorry uh uh laboratory and there was a little post-it note with a smiley face on there. I suppose quite similar to your great day to have a baby. It's like, it made me think walking out there, how many people have been in there subsequent times, you know, like three, four, five times. Uh, and they're seeing that smile. And I got to thinking, signs like you're a great day to make a baby. If, you, if you've been through this journey multiple times, you're going to want to rip those signs down. You're going you're gonna to want to, absolutely scream at them because it isn't a great day to make a baby because that's something that every other couple in the world seems to be able to naturally do yet you're footed with a bill of you know five to twenty five thousand wherever you want to sit on that that line to be able to even have a chance so uh, yeah i see what you're saying about those signs um and I, i definitely felt angry just going in the first time um yeah what would you do differently now looking back at it what would you do differently would you do anything um i don't i don't know i I kind of felt like it was kind of a whirlwind process where i was kind of you know dragged along Uh, i was 100 (laughs) percent wanting to go along with it don't get me wrong um it was definitely what i was there for but i i was kind of I was tagging along with the journey. That's how much it very much felt um, with uh, my IVF journey with my wife. Um, you know, I was, I was told what I, what I needed to know, not what I wanted to know, if there was any questions, you know, it kind of felt like I had to go out my way to find those things out. Um, no, I felt like w- one thing that really helped my wife uh, while I was going through the IVF journey was that um, she stayed off the internet, essentially. 
because she didn't want to read about these statistics and she didn't want to read about, um, you know, all the risks uh, through the medication and uh, ovarian hyperstimulation, all that stuff. Um, you know, she, she signed all the documents and she was like, I don't want to know about the risks. Um, uh, I, I feel like I need to have the right headspace for this. And I, that was my role in the IVF. I was the person that trawled mum's net um, uh, on the internet uh, looking for all these people that have been testing four days past their transfer and, um, uh, you know, how to take the, the, um, uh, the, the injections, how to reduce the pain on the injection site. You know, that was all the stuff that I was um, doing. And I essentially became that well of knowledge that if Lisa had a question, instead of her going to Google and finding uh, that she was suddenly a hypochondriac because of all the symptoms that she was probably experiencing from the, the injections. Um, she could just ask me uh, and I'd be like, yeah, that is a symptom of, of that medication. Um, but you can do this to kind of relieve that, or um, you can have this medication. It doesn't impact the, the IVF protocol that we're on. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what I, I became for Lisa. I suppose that um, safe go-to place. Uh, and I'd, I'd recommend anyone, if they want to be able to help out more, it isn't just doing the washing. It isn't just doing the, you know, the, the roles around the house taking up more of that 50% role than you already should be. Um, it, it's, you know, being, being that uh, well of knowledge so that they don't need to resort to going on the internet um, and finding all these people that get pregnant so easily. I'm really glad you're you're touching on the internet thing because so many so many people resort to the WebMD Google MD syndrome yeah. of yeah. digging and digging and digging and then you get in such a hole of I didn't need to know that I want to try and remain positive you know it, it it's the World Wide Web is an incredible tool there's so many tools and so much information out there but when you're dealing with IVF and miscarriage there are things you don't want to know about you know you don't want to dive into it and, and, and think okay well these things can happen to me you want to try and remain as positive as possible yeah um and we really leaned into the positivity uh on our ivf protocol like we really leaned into it i think being off the internet really helped a lot um so uh, with our journey, especially near the end, like when we was doing the IVF protocol, my wife was getting serious pregnancy envy. Um, it was, it was quite upsetting to see, um, you know, she kind of backed away from uh, her social groups. She, she was just not happy with being ambushed, I suppose, how she would see it in, in the sense that someone couldn't enter pregnancy. And it's lovely that people are getting pregnant. Um, but I think we were just in that place where it was just like we said earlier, um, why not me, you know, or, you know, why them? Um, and it put us in a difficult place. Um, so yeah, we, we really leaned into that positivity and, and went hundred percent with, you know, that these statistics are great. This is, um, you know, that they've got above national average, um, uh, su- success for live birth. Um, and these are all the things you need to look at with the IVF stats. I mean, you have the, the, uh, the first, uh, lot of statistics are about, um, how many people actually just get pregnant. And we were like, fantastic. We were like this back in 2020, we got pregnant. 
we didn't think there was going to be the next hurdle of being able to stay pregnant, you know? Um, and yeah, so with the IVF statistics, you've got the um, pregnant, uh, which is like 40 something, 40 plus percent, which is above national average. Um, and then the, the, the percentage drops a little bit for the, the live um, uh, births, which that obviously means that there's a small percentage that even after you get the pregnancy, even if you don't have a miscarriage, you know, one in four, there's still that lingering chance of um, stillbirth. And it's, it's absolutely traumatic to, to read about those things. And that's what I wanted to protect my wife from. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm really glad you were able to protect her, but the, the statistics don't lie. And you should know, even though the statistics sound grim, one in four pregnancies end in a miscarriage, one in eight couples struggle with infertility, one in 160 births end in a stillbirth, and one in a thousand babies die of, of SIDS. You should just know that you are not alone. The person to your left, the person to your right could have gone through it. And what we need to do as men is to create a community within our own neighborhoods to have that outlet, to have that resource for one another and be there for one another throughout this journey, throughout this process. It's difficult. There will be times that you will be down on yourself and there will be times that you'll be up on yourself. But life, life is a spiral curve. It'll be ups and downs. So as long as you have those outlets and that positivity injected into you, uh, you will be successful. Nobody can tell you when you will get pregnant, but hopefully one day you will. Is there anything that you would like, and this is, you know, the big takeaway message for them to leave the show and say, Hey, wow, this is, this is, this is mind blowing. Is there anything you want to leave them with? Um, I think just going back to the, the original point of, uh, don't underestimate how much communicating can help both you and your partner. Um, I, I'm part of, uh, the, the Facebook groups, uh, you know, the IVF um, support groups. And a, a lot of the questions out there are like, how can I do more for my wife? How can I, how can I deal with her, um, uh, the emotions that she's going through? How can I respond the right way? Um, and I, I'd say to that, just be brutally honest. Be honest that this is how you're feeling because your feelings are just as important as her feelings in this process or their feelings, sorry. Um, so, yeah you you need to look out for yourself as well as your wife because it's it's a 50 50 thing there's there's both both people are involved uh and you know invested in in building a family together um and you should make sure your voice is heard because your opinions your input matters and Nine times out of ten, I, I assure you, they're going to be feeling exactly the same way, probably just too afraid to say it. If you vocalize it, you've kind of given that avenue, you've given that pathway of of approaching those conversations so that it, you're reducing that stigma. You're, you're taking the sting out of the bite of having those hard conversations. You know, conversations like how many tries do we really give it when there's such a financial burden, you know, in terms of IVF. How many, how many times can you see your partner go through the possible traumatic experience of experience of miscarriage? Um, you know, how, how many times can you go through it yourself? 
And you just need to look after yourself as well. That's really important. Take a holiday afterwards. You know, after you go through it, try and take a holiday. Yeah, yeah. Take a break. I th- we took um, uh, several breaks, you know. Uh, one was kind of forced because of the, uh, the ectopic. We need to wait so long. But I think coming back at it and kind of having that energy, that stamina against it again, um, kind of revitalized the whole trying to conceive journey. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Leslie, for being on the show. And uh, to all our listeners out there, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Leslie or myself. We're more than happy to be there for you, to support you, and, and to help you through this journey. You are not alone. You've just listened to another great episode of Men Talk with Daniel Landau. If you've suffered from miscarriage, infertility, stillbirth, or infant loss, and want to open up about it, reach out. We'd love to have you on the show. You can also join our Facebook group, or if you'd like to get involved and start a chapter in your neighborhood, visit our website, www.menshelpline.org today. Until next week, stay strong, and remember, you're not alone.